On patreon.com slash consensus on reality you will find bonus episodes, written content and much more. This recording contains an exclusive follow-up and bonus episode only on Patreon. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Yeah, we're talking about Very a bunch nice. of different things tonight. A uh, really interesting new book by Diana Pasolka called Encounters. Um, her it is interesting. Last book, um, American Cosmic, kind of rocked the UFO um, cognoscenti or uh, the culture. Yeah, the culture. Um, I think it kind of brought some <laughs> some new perspectives to pre-existing themes, um, which she reapproaches again in encounters. Um, and it's kind of all the old ghouls from ufological research, Project Blue Book, and but they're not all ghouls. Yeah, I, yeah, just the old haunts, I should say. Um, yeah, a lot of them are ghouls, though. You're right. But I, she, it's interesting that. Uh, you know topics that are this old at this point uh project blue book and and the the research and yeah uh work of j allen hynek um she's obviously also a protege of jacques valet um who she writes about frequently in both of those books um but yeah yeah as i'm saying uh, she she approaches it with some new angles and and also from a perspective that has kind of um the renown of, uh, you know, at least the American universities um, and intellectuals, academics. Yeah. It kind of made me feel a little bit like she was slipping into not propaganda, but like being a mouthpiece for something. Like it feels, and I know that she's kind of done that publicly for sure. It had less of like the sort of like interesting, like cinematic novelty feeling that American Cosmic had and it's more of a like a grab bag of sort of like a progress report on the research that she's doing and I yeah I have like mixed feelings about it but I think there's some really interesting tidbits in it, and it kind of feels like it might be like a weird like Trojan horse book to get the idea of Rosicrucianism back into the public discourse because there's all these weird, subtle references to it that I found like kind of kind of interesting, and it coincides a lot with what I've been kind of reading on my own, which maybe I'll talk a little bit more about later. Um, but yeah, I wonder. She's definitely going more into taking this sort of UFO thing and bridging it to her interest in religious studies. There's a lot more of the explicit connections to like. Archangel Michael and like uh, saints and um, demons and that sort of like it's a bit more explicit about that which is interesting because she is coming out of this ostensibly like nuts and bolts field but which the closer you look at it the weirder and more uh, religious and uh, metaphysical it gets especially in this book like it's almost entirely um like petitioning to have the UFO thing approached as, as a, a form of spiritual encounter, which 
I think is the right track, but mm. also like there's going to be like growing pains, I think, and <laughs> anyone except the weirdest people approaching it from that way because it's it assumes a lot about the nature of reality that most people won't uh, won't ride along with. Yeah, I agree. And hit record on the uh, Zoom real quick, will you? <laughs> yeah. Is our, is our uh, safety net there? Um, but yeah, I, I have recording to, in progress. It it does seem that there's like Trojan horse. I'm not sure if it's um, it, it's definitely alluded to the the interest that people like Jalen Hynek and Jacques Vallée. I mean, she talks about it explicitly in this book, their yeah. interest in Rosicrucianism and the connections for so many people, um, experiencers to, uh, new religions, to spiritualism or, um, theosophy and things that, uh, kind of rise out of the theosophical movements of the early 20th century. Um, but I did feel that there is kind of an encoded language to a lot of things that are said yeah. within this book. And, and she kind of closes out the book with the concept that, um, and I think this is kind of the relating theme of, of encounters, um, is that the u- ufological experience, um, the experience of seeing quote unquote flying saucers or UAPs or however you classify is allegorical. Um, and that's, I mean, it's easy to, you know, that's kind of like seems um, one dimensional, but um, who's like, I think what she's pondering in this book is what exactly is manifesting or creating this allegory and for what intent. Um, so there's a right. lot of really the, the concept that non-human intelligence, which is the subtext in the title, I think it's encounters with non-human intelligence there's kind of like a new vague term that seems to engulf artificial intelligence, but also um, messengers of um, what she deems downloads. Um, a lot of the people, these kind of industrious figures that she researches um, tend to yeah. receive uh, downloads as almost technology um, coming from uh, the newosphere um, which is yeah that that whole part is super interesting the, the, the Deschardin like that theme that kind of comes in and out of the book my like main problem with the book is it's sort of like uh, it feels often like a a weird like left field excuse for like AI like uh, I don't know like it's not hysterics but like the sort of like fanfare and like uh, deification by people like Elon Musk and like like she even has like a blurb from Elon Musk in one of the chapters. It's kind of like or not a blurb but an epi- epigraph. Um, so that angle, like I, like I just don't think that the emergent consciousness intelligence entity thing is 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 the AI thing. Like I get the yeah, we know where you stand. That perhaps on that. <laughs> no, but I just like I don't. I mean, I think that obviously but i think the book kind of like hangs on that as like one of its main thrusts and so it's 
And I'm, I feel like I've kind of <laughs> developed how, how I think about the AI thing a bit since we last talked about oh my it, God. but I, I don't you, think. You. Yes. Yeah, and no, I, I mean, more towards a more for, forgiving, I think. Uh, oh, I see. I see. Okay. Yeah, you've 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 uh, constructively reapproached your position. Your, your my, intolerant my anti AI bigotry. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Hateful man. Uh, yeah, I just I like. It feels like it's shoehorned in there in a way that didn't feel like it had much to like. I don't know. It just like it kind of felt like well, okay, like, but it didn't feel like it really like came to get like i don't know like uh i guess like we have to assume a certain kind of metaphysical multi-dimensional reality to allow for like ai to become like somehow a an emergent consciousness or something but yeah i guess it, like if everything is already conscious like if, if like animism or whatever is right. true then of course ai is conscious uh in the same way a, a rock is conscious or i am conscious but, You're conscious in the same way that a rock is. Yeah, I am. You do sure. love rocks too. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's cool. Nice, nice little nod there. You got your anti AI, but also rock enthusiasm in like yeah. thirty <laughs> seconds there. That was sweet. Um, Some say that rocks are a sort of computer. Well, that's yeah. That's the. Uh, it's kind of like. I mean, it's not kind of like, but that's. Bishop Barclay's the stone the stone punch fallacy was like an argument that he got into, um, yeah, <laughs> explaining his immaterial doctrine and and the the other guy kicked a, a rock and was like I refute it thus you know like it but um, I think the the thing that a lot of the people that she's um, you know her uh i think she calls them like colleagues and stuff um a lot like because a lot of these people are you know hyper successful and there she calls a lot of them invisibles part of this invisible college expanding yeah. on this idea uh that jacques valet wrote about about um essentially uh scientists and researchers who kind of operate behind closed doors as like a almost like a para um institution to how we conceive um you know scientific research and and stuff like that so there there is kind of this openness to more metaphysical um and fringe topics behind closed doors but then it, it kind of goes further into like yeah. these people who are um who almost operate like in, in not quite a breakaway civilization but a, a, a civilization that's almost like coexisting but parallel to how you and i live or something and that's kind of uh yeah yeah saying that out loud seems oddly pretentious and uh like <laughs> insane to assume but i i mean there is kind of like a different um a different context of like these people working in silicon valley and stuff um who kind of operate on a different line or, or something, and that's kind of the. I guess I'll just stop using all these vague, yeah, yeah, illusions. But no, I get it. There's the kind of the like some people are attributing this idea of uh, artificial intelligence, basically that like if we, if man itself, if mankind, rather is a Homo sapiens or a type of technology operating for a super intelligence, some intelligence that is you know, God or something outside of our 
uh, realm of space-time, um, then if man stops progressing this inherent consciousness that is imbued within reality, um, does it then, does that super intelligence or super consciousness project itself into like silicon or something? And that's, she kind of talks about the idea that if everything is made up of, you know, these base elements that come from stardust, then, you know, what is the difference between, you know, the divine man and, you know, a piece of silicon or, Something, but I tend to think right. that like there's people that she writes about in this book too that she has you know researched and work with um, that talk about the concept of like we won't really know the face of artificial intelligence when it emerges because its emergence won't be in some construct that is like a, the mirror image of a Homo sapien, but that it will be existing within language or something like that so we may not recognize yeah when this like emergent arrives um and it might be alien to us you know which is is pretty interesting but yeah i think a few things about all that first i found really interesting the chapter on the uh ea whiteley person um Mm -hmm. it's an early chapter because it pretty plainly admits to like the kind of stuff that Jason Horsley accuses people of in Prisoner of Infinity of like shaping human, like uh, engineering human beings to like have this desire for space or for like a sort of a technological future through popular culture, popular culture, but also like literally through like almost mind control experiments on babies. Um, some really out there stuff like social programming. Um, but then it also brings in this, another person I mentioned a lot is that David Abram person, which is, comes in very strongly in this chapter about like the relationship we have with like the natural world and our place in the world and how that sort of plays into like all of this talk about what consciousness is or what, what a non-human intelligence means, like of course there's animals that have that sort of form mm-hmm. some of them like quite advanced there's quite, there's a bit about dolphins in there but it applies just as well to like almost any animal having mm-hmm. a sort of non-human form of consciousness and intelligence even though people argue against that right but yeah it's that so that was really interesting but then there's also all this stuff about darpa like she keeps mentioning darpa and it's kind of it's this book must be received so interestingly because half of the sort of people who would be interested in this book, when you say DARPA, it's like, well, this is obviously the deepest pits of evil. Like these are people who are like mm-hmm. uh, sending, sending children forward in time and bringing them back like crazy, like Montauk project <laughs> shit. But like at the same time, it's like, for a more popular audience, that's like a legitimizing thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the United States, like military intelligence and like tech development industry is interested in these questions of the effect of space travel on the human consciousness or like the way that we change when we start thinking about things in terms of like a a global or planetary consciousness, a newosphere or something. Or, you know, if we try to cross the abyss, like that kind of thing. Um, And then 
there was also something about, I can't remember exactly what was said, but sort of she was talking about technological bridges between um, communicating between humanity and then the technological bridge of mm -hmm. whatever the given technology is, industry, maybe talking with something else. And then AI is a technological bridge to communicate with perhaps some sort of alien or ultra dimensional other yeah. entity. Like I, I find, yeah. yeah, I think that concept is interesting because she's specifically talking about how, um, you know, machine learning or artificial intelligence, maybe quantum computing. I mean, we're not going to get into the, the technical elements of that, but we could, no, we couldn't. Um, but she kind of says <laughs> that, you know, this could be used as a bridge to kind of obfuscate the noise of, you know, our own perception, the noise of, of humans. Yeah. And that's kind of like a genetic evolutionary thing too, is, I mean, there's so much, you know, the brain filtering, the concept of perception and, and senses, you know, getting in the way of, of, um, some, some sort of ecstatic contact or some kind of clear, uh, yeah. contact with, with a super intelligence because a lot of these people that she's researching live these kind of weird semi ascetic lifestyles where they don't, they purposefully, you know, don't engage in like listening to the news and they are keep themselves. And she, it's, I think what's so interesting yeah. about this book too, is that what you're talking about, you know, the things that it mentions, it's really hard to pinpoint like, Oh, this is, this is a psyop or this is, um, you know, this right. is questionable because I think she's approaching this from a pretty honest point of view. And, you know, she's talking about the dangers of social media and the kind of like tech bot armies that are trying to influence uh, all of our social movements and socially engineer us for every which reason. And people who are yeah. pushing back against that, uh, spe specifically in one chapter, one of the people that she works with who also happens to be an experiencer. But there is also kind of an anti-nuts-and-bolts, anti-space um, element as well, which is, is kind of crazy when you put it in the context of somebody like Jason Horsley or something, um, because he's so anti-all of this. Um, but at the same time there's kind of uh, writing about this invisible college and um, people who grow up behind the shadow of intelligence agencies and the kind of strange lifelong engineering that goes on with them and their families not being able to like take photographs of them and weird stuff that kind of, yeah, um, it kind of solidifies things that and experiences that Whitley Strieber had in a weird way where a book like mm -hmm. Prisoner of Infinity kind of proposes that it's all this crucial fiction that is built out of, you know, some childhood trauma. But the kind of things that uh, Whitley's talking about with like the gifted children program and stuff when he's younger, this kind of like validates his experiences in this weird way. And especially I thought again about things that Whitley Strieber says about um, the phenomena being like some communication of human evolution, you know, or like an allegory for human evolution. Right. Which I think it also kind of is validated within this book, although she 
doesn't really talk about Whitley Strieber, but she is involved with the Soul Foundation. I think she's on the board, which is David Grush, and um, I think it's the dude for who wrote the uh, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book, who I always forget his name. Yeah, Um, me too. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Whitley Strieber was like a keynote speaker at the first meeting of that. So that's all really interesting context. Yeah, I wonder, I think the, the thing you said about senses is interesting to me, like using AI as a method to get past our, our sort of sensory, um, what's the word, like prejudices, like we're literally prejudiced by the only ways that we're able to interact with the world, which which are our senses. But I was, I was talking to someone about this recently about I think a, a book I mentioned last time was that uh, death as an altered state of consciousness. Um, and just like thinking about what is it that that continues to survive after death. And I think this weirdly does tie into all of this because like, what is it that experiences one of these experiences that, you know, the people have in encounters or in any of these books, what is it the sensory system that makes up the human like biological mm thing like is that what experiences this or is it some sort of like but then like because when you sit down and think about like what you are like as, as a as a subject you're not of course you're thinking about the sensory inputs that have made up your life but there's like the thing that is experiencing those inputs like this sort of like invisible uh entity like within you that is the thing that sort of watches the experiences of your life go by um the sort of thing that transcends that like someone with no senses still has an interior life of some kind so like you wonder like what these experiences are happening to are you like if you have an experience of a dream or uh, a vision of some kind that's not physically happening to say like your eyes or your skin or something mm -hmm. but like who is experiencing that so it, it i think these things kind of call that weird like what is a, what or, is the person what, you know in, into what question it, yeah interestingly is like what is the what is the makeup of the experience too because then yeah calls into question does ai have a bias because we program it you know i guess then it would have to be it would have to be some kind of emergent um uh what do you call it um uh, i can't think of the word right now some emergent uh, okay. a doppelganger of us no not a doppelganger um something that it's it's standing alone um yeah well it's okay <laughs> yeah uh i can't it, find it would have to be it would have to be independent like it would and it would have to kind of create its own architecture in a way for it to be different because language itself is a kind of filter, right? Like that's, that's what a lot of what she's talking yeah, about is how people language is just senses. Yeah. It's but like is a... it, is it symbols too? Because people experience the same things uh, in some of the cases that she's writing about. And some of these are also documented mm -hmm. in blue book, but you know, one per, one half of that couple will have seen an angel and the other half will have seen a flying saucer, but, it was the same yeah, experience in the same room. Um, totally. Yeah. The distinction thing is 
fascinating to me because that means that there is, if two people are seeing it, it means that there is a, like a, some objective event happening, but it's an, an objective event that is subjective more than usual. Like, cause all events are subjective um, to a person, but it's like physical appearance is somehow subjective. Although I don't know, I guess you could say that about a tree. Couldn't you? Like if I'm standing on one side of the tree and you're standing on the other, mm -hmm. you might be able to see the woodpecker. And I'd be like, there is no woodpecker. Except maybe I heard it, but I thought that that was a, a jackhammer five miles away or something, you know? Right, right. And that's what's crazy, too, is like that's why the Phoenix Lights is like something so clearly man-made because, you know, so many people saw the same thing and it's it's documented on so many videos as the same thing that it must just have right. been like a high-altitude V-shaped balloon or whatever, um, which is, I, I think, kind yeah, of... That's the theory I've seen um, about that specific case that seems to work and have been, you know, all but admitted is that it was like high altitude uh, testing of a spy balloon. Um, but it should also be noted, yeah. oddly, like that, that Deschardin's concept of the noosphere seems like this thing that's so applicable to the internet and like concepts of proto cyberspace or whatever. Um, but it is a very christian concept like the way that he wrote about it yeah is um essentially uh almost as an evolutionary part of the omega point of you know the rapture or uh, of revelations is that we're it's this this godhead separating and fracturing and then uh returning to itself which is also something that's like you commonly hear in a lot of new age um language as well these days yeah yeah i think all the parts in her book about the newest fear are interesting they're very tied up with that chapter about that guy jose mm -hmm. um who had these really interesting and, and the, the I, I found it kind of concerning the <laughs> the the way that they tied it into like war as like the way like there is this whole sort of part about like war as the thing that initiates like mm -hmm. And like she, she even kind of expressed some concern over this too. She was like, "Well, I don't want to like think about like I'm a pacifist. I don't want to think about war as like a a, a route to the phenomenon." But because that's at where Deschardin, uh, right? He, World War One. Yeah, he formed this concept in fighting on the battlefield of World War One, and then this dude Jose was also a soldier and un recognized some sort of like. Um, hyper extension of consciousness that happens in these elevated states and that's kind of the trauma thing too right is this like uh that's what i thought of yeah which is back to Horsley's critique again yeah yeah right right which i feel i mean yeah it's kind of funny to um i do bring him up a lot but i think he's a like a really Another high quality critic of, of an yeah, important voice of some of the yeah. <laughs> some of the like lights of fancy especially about like the value of trauma i think yeah um, uh, because that is like such a it's a it's a common and like tricky thing to talk about because what you're really saying is like that's like if not required then i don't like if that's the path to numinous experience which i guess throughout religious history often it is Mm -hmm. And like in Christianity, of course, like the 
root symbol is sort of a traumatic experience itself. And it's not if just not, Christianity. Well, you know, I guess it, it's also like the Masonic right. <laughs> lore too. Hiram Abiff, you know. True, getting bonked on the head or whatever. The um, dying god mythos is kind of in... yeah, right. The uh, the killed king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's really some wild stuff, wild and weird stuff. Mm-hmm. I've uh, I was doing this thing where I was intentionally listening to the audiobook of Encounters uh, while sort of you know on the side of it reading. Uh, well, rereading now, uh, Congratulations, the UFO Reality by Eugenia Macer Story, of course. And I haven't read this since maybe 2016 or so. Um, it's an incredible book, her first, as far as I know, published book. And there's so, like, there's this weird resonance between them. Like, they're both kind of written in these chapters, kind of approaching different angles on the same thing. They both have a very keen interest in um, I guess you'd call it like the the spiritual or religious or psychic, you know, the non-nuts and bolts approach to UFOs. And some of the anecdotes they tell have like kind of eerie correspondences and they're, they're both using sort of this pseudonym approach that is really interesting. It's It was a really bizarre kind of reading experience. I, of course, any book about UFOs is going to be a book about UFOs, but... um. Also, this book is extremely funny. If you can find a copy of it out there, it's, I don't know. She was like really fucking sharp back then. And like having these, just all these quips, very funny book. But what I I wanted to talk about was this one really bizarre anecdote. So the book is set up as she set up a shop in uh, Salem and then Boston, Massachusetts. And she was doing psychic consultations there. She had a UFO experience that like rearranged her approach to reality, although she was already a psychic, et cetera. And then she thought, I want to collect information about UFOs. So I'm going to sort of like put a post out there. I think like, you know, a flyer saying, have you had a UFO experience? Come to my office to talk to me about it. And many people did. She got this one call about this guy. And I think it was New Hampshire who saw he had a frozen lake out behind his house and he saw a box fall out of the sky hmm. and it fell and hit his frozen lake and it made a round hole. <laughs> um, but it was like a black cube, like a rectangle and it fell out of the sky and it made a round hole in his ice. And it like, that's like, and this sort of like high strange stuff is like throughout this book. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's like my favorite book about UFOs. I'm biased, but it's just like, it's full of that kind of thing, which I love about it. Like the, like Keelian kind of like bizarre events that almost feel like they're symbols of something, which kind of also ties into the uh, Pasolka book. Yeah. Yeah. The, but the, what, yeah, what, uh, there's a bit about wearing like, the circle. I know really. Yeah. And isn't, uh, the square in the circle is like a, an esoteric symbol. And also the triangle in the circle was yeah. Jack Parsons' uh, symbol mm. that he saw of Babylon. And I think we're going to talk yeah. a little bit about some Parsons and metafiction stuff Jack. on the back end. But it's interesting because uh, in this book, um, that figure, Tyler, who was such a, 
um, integral person in American Cosmic. And he was this uh, mysterious character who was um, uh, hyper successful in the development of in the in the tech industry and and um, all this stuff and and received these downloads and lived this uh, strangely ascetic life where he didn't you know have caffeine and didn't have a TV and didn't watch the news and you know um, had this kind of uh, rigorous sleep schedule and all this stuff but received downloads his entire life from um, you know from some other form of consciousness but he um, a couple interesting things in this book. Uh, there was one person that Diana Pasolka was researching, and this person was um, from another country. I think he was Australian. And uh, yeah, he basically said that if he started working outside of the United States, then Tyler would have to cut off ties with Diana Pasolka, like reiterating this connection to the intelligence community. Um and intelligence right. and and, secu- and national security, which is something that like at times seems to be like, how does that even factor in, you know? But then it like it comes back in the in the craziest way that you know would ring the suspect bell for a lot of people, obviously. Um, but he also says uh, in this moment when when she's talking about mythology being like a super informational matrix above politics and rational thought. Um, Tyler says to her that the point is not to try and figure it out, Um, which I I found is like a very, very curious moment, you know, because this is all she's doing is, is trying to like get to the root of something or at least document something. And, and he's, he's assisted her in this and, and allowed her access to a supposed, UFO crash site in New Mexico near Roswell in American Cosmic. Um, but he's at the same time now telling her like the point is to not try and figure it out, um, which seems to yeah. allude to, you know, I think the point is to experience it and, and be guided by it or something, but not to try and um, put a shape to it or something. Yeah. I thought that was a weird moment. <laughs> Because what what is studying something if not trying to figure it out? Mm-hmm. It's more like a meditative thing if you're trying to just like sit with it. And I don't know. I, I'm still not like really certain of that person's objective reality, like what that person is, uh, or if maybe they're like a sort of like a, what would you call it? Like a stand in for some group. Or if they're uh, just if they're really just like an, an individual person, like I don't know, or like a, a useful. Like, I mean, I'm sure she would say that. Yeah, this is just a real person who needs to be anonymous for obvious reasons. But well, he's not anonymous anymore. He, it's been he's exposed to it. Is yeah, it's um, this NASA engineer. I think his name's Tim Taylor. Um, oh, that guy. Yeah, that's who Tyler. Is and the other dude, who uh, in American Cosmic, who she also used uh, a pseudonym for, right. is well, that guy I knew about Gary Gary Nolan, Nolan um, who's like a biomedical uh, developer and scientist, and he is now I think he's part of the Soul Foundation as well, or maybe at least like s- speaks with them and stuff, or is kind of intertwined into that group. 
Um, right. Oh, so it's just that Tim Taylor. Because I've seen that guy around mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the various spheres of this thing. I guess that makes sense. Well, that makes it less of a enticing mystery than just like a guy kind of pulling rank on an interested person. <laughs> yeah yeah but there's there's something like that in the book actually which is insane um she starts corresponding with somebody who is a ufo experiencer and like knows a ton about the subject and this person they're kind of becoming close and she's like researching this person and you know maybe it would have been included in this book um but then she kind of i forget what the venue is um but jacques valet is there and she's like my friend would like to meet you jacques can you give me your read on him because she was she trusts jacques valet and she like wanted his read on this person Yeah. and he was like i'm not going to meet that person and then he basically says like people within um intelligence communities have like a certain look and and do and act a certain way and he says something insane to her where he's like they get to know you they get to know your friends and they get to know your families and it's like Yeah. super scary like there's a lot of that's Yeah. what makes this book so interesting is like she's she was almost she was gang stalked a bit after writing um uh american cosmic where she was getting all like her academic email was like flooded and with all this stuff um Mm. We should get her one of our hats. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> she's plugging the merch hell yeah yeah. consensus on reality merchandise uh items for you and your entire family in the holiday season <laughs> uh it's out there folks go find it it's linked on our instagram but that would be funny um yeah i found that, that stuff's really curious because she really does she she gets led down these paths in in american cosmic and encounters where she's interacting yeah. with some some high level stuff and um i think what kind of set off radars too is that when she got access to that site in um american cosmic the the you know supposed ufo crash site god only knows what exactly that is although i've heard her talk about it more in an interview than she did actually in american cosmic and she kind of talks about this craft that almost seems to have like an exo skeleton <laughs> skin or so it's super weird like um Yeah. and there's the whole metamaterials thing too and she talks about like ever since writing american cosmic at rice university they had um an exhibition of sorts of um anomalous materials related to the ufo question or phenomena um which i guess is a lot of Hmm. you know those metamaterials those kind of um materials that are re recovered of of questionable origin or uh um uh elemental makeup you know They're probably just quaaludes. Ludes from the Georgia <laughs> Guidestones. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole thing is like uh, still a mystery to me. Um, I yeah, It's I like in, the book. At first, it's the I was invisible like, this book college. is not I mean, like that's the whole thing. right. Like it's Yeah, it's yeah. it's like It is. It's It's something that's the Rosicrucian kept model from is. you. Yeah.
And that's yeah. something that she, it is apt. she talks about a lot in the book too, is um, the oral tradition of ufology and what's yeah. in the, uh, I guess in the military industrial complex realm, it's called pencils up, which means right. like, we're going to talk about things that aren't being documented in, on paper, you know, so it's kind of that above top yeah. secret idea. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. It's funny actually how the more I think about it, it feels like she definitely read like the spell of the sensuous or something by Abram lately because, or maybe these, these, uh, these considerations have finally kind of come to their moment because so much of like this idea of orality and like, the way information is passed down differently inside of language that's written versus language that's spoken. Like all of these things kind of come up in, in this book that I was, and I kept being like, this is just like that other book, except like applied explicitly to like, uh, you know, tech bros with delusions of grandeur and uh, UFO like heads. Mm. It's, I it's like really the, interesting. The concept though, that like this, you know, this above top secret oral tradition of, uh, I don't know, a secret space program or of, of, uh, ufological related phenomena, like that thing in itself can, can develop into a secret society, you know, like a, a, a its own sure. mythology that, you know, you could, it's, it is strange because she's kind of defining that this, like, movement of secret intelligence is you know a secret society within itself and has its own kind of course of rituals and and things uh yeah it's like a priesthood it, it yeah, reminds yeah. a lot of like how like shamanic uh techniques are handed down orally or how you know the whole idea of something being esoteric yeah is kind of what what it is and there's, I mean, like, there's people who would hear us say that and be like, well, yeah, duh. Like, of course, yeah. there's like, a, it's it's the Illuminati, you know, but like, it's easy to just say that without like kind of laying the grounds for how and why that actually makes sense and isn't something like that grand or um, unreal, yeah. like a, like a a group out of a HP Lovecraft story. Like it doesn't have to be that, um, fictitious sounding. Like it actually just could I don't know. exist yeah. and be this like, you know, like it secret could. societies of the past. I mean, it's, it's very similar, you know, like if, if, and it, we know yeah. that to a degree it exists. I mean, like you can't doubt that there is like a, yeah. a high quantity of, um, you know, invisible information or like a, a above top secret oral tradition of the phenomena. Yeah. Well, and of anything of any value, I think. And yeah. In uh military or government spaces, I mean, mm -hmm. everything is intercepted now. If it's written down on any of the technologies that we've used for the last 30 years. So it makes sense that there would be a tradition of, like going back to like a folklore almost among among mm -hmm. these people which is fascinating to me um although it all kind of might just be it's all very science fiction too like uh, it this book in particular feels very influenced by like 
there's a lot i don't i don't know how to explain it there's a lot of like kind of narrativity to it um which i guess is what you need to do to make a book but but at, at the same time it's also a lot of it feels very neat and like there are arcs that happen and mm -hmm. i know she's kind of combing the details and in, into a, a readable way for a major publisher but there does feel to be like a, a certain amount of artificiality to it that makes me wonder like what the book really is like what the books per like because american cosmics certainly i'm not saying like you know this writer is like some sort of agent or something like that certainly not but the book in the end did serve a purpose as like sort of an object in this ongoing ufo thing and so i'm kind of wondering what the purpose of of this one is or if there is one maybe or if like she's kind of like do, do you know what i mean yeah I like still question if it served a purpose or if she was kind of eloquently defining things that were already there, you know, like, because, That's true. but why make it public? Well, I don't think she, I mean, I think she's just like, I, I'm taking this with a grain of salt saying that like, she's a genuine just researcher and writer and that, you know, I think yeah, she, yeah. she just has a genuine uh, interest in these things. I'm sure other people might say otherwise, uh, having read it or read American cosmic. Um, but I think if you kind of look back at like the, a lot of the space brother stuff, and I know a lot of those figures, obviously, uh, we've come to find that they're of questionable character in some degrees and in some instances. And, um, but there's yeah. kind of a message there that has been resonant from the beginning of like, this being some kind of like evolutionary guiding tool and that it's, you know, this voice towards man's progress as a species and all this stuff. And it's, it's like it, if it was kind of just this um, sci-fi hyper object, then why didn't it start as like Mars attacks, you know, like why weren't people just kind of like, receiving it with yeah. this like fear well it kind of arose out of like this these theosophical movements and stuff and it, that could have all been right fiction. maybe fear isn't the point yeah yeah it could be that it's it's not for the purposes of scaring you know or controlling people through fear it might be a much more complicated or, or ancient approach ancient. Um, <laughs> you know like who knows this could be like the manifestation of a cult that goes back to times immemorial absolutely but yeah that's it totally it true was, and she talks about you know the the allegory yeah. of the cave a lot too and and the yeah. socratic inclination towards the oral tradition um and how the written word is, when which part when uh jose in the, in the book, the, the soldier yeah. uh, figure, he has this moment where he's going on and on about the word try. He's like, just, you know, try. And I'm like, try, what the fuck? What is try? Why? And I'm like, oh, it's Pascal Beverly Randolph's like slogan, the Rosicrucian thing. Mm. And that was another moment where I was like, there's like some kind of weird, there's no reason he would be a Rosicrucian. Like, you know, I've, of course, maybe he is, but like, it felt like it was, I don't know. It feels like this is like some sort of, attempt to revitalize the the you know the church of the rose cross that would be so funny not that if it's it was dead. just like you, you know the whole thing is just like 
Yeah. And it's like a what in South Park or something when they get to heaven and they're like, it was it was Mormons. The Mormons were right, right. the whole time. It's like the <laughs> the whole UFO thing from the beginning. It's like, yeah, this was about Rosicrucianism, you know, to revitalize right. the uh, <laughs> the Rosy Cross. Um Good ruse. That would be a good one. Um but it yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, there's also obviously a Judeo Christian subtext to the things she's writing, and she doesn't even really mention that Deschardins' um, noosphere uh, is kind of that um, Christian, has that Christian rapture concept to it, um, reaching this omega point of, of returning to um, the Pleroma, and uh, I forget, what is, the, what is the Godhead called in Gnosticism? Um, I can't remember now. It's like, uh, Bartleby. That's Barbello. <laughs> Barbello is like this kind of like, <laughs> yeah, <I> fil- <laughs> the Barbello and the Pleroma are like these, uh, um, yeah, aonic right. the, filters yeah, the towards stuff. the Godhead, but there's a specific name for it. I cannot remember. It does have a name. Yeah. I can't remember. I love that they have such a specialized vocabulary. It's like such Um, a dense, rich cosmology, which is so crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Bartleby. (laughs) Bartholomew. Barbalo is like, it's this this very important concept in Gnosticism, and the word itself is like, it's kind of a funny, like, thing. There's a couple of those in in Gnosticism, actually. Uh, It sounds like a giant. Like Sophia. Like flying dog. In a cartoon or something. Yeah. <laughs> Barbello. Bar- Barbello. Yeah. Come down from there. Clifford. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Clifford consciousness. That's what we're calling this episode. Godhead is, uh, is called Clifford. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, um, a, it's an interesting book. I mean, it's, it's coming from a certain place. Um, she's got a lot of really weird connections to a lot of people in the field and varying from like the top to the lowest, like rungs on the, on the ladder or something like meaning like, you know, Twitter, uh, uh, mystic personalities and stuff. Like not that like there's kind of weird relationships there and stuff. Um, I just don't think that they, there's like some kind of, what I find so interesting about these books is that it kind of mirrors the phenomena and that it's kaleidoscopic and that there's not like some obvious directive or something, you know, like there's, it kind of just makes you think a lot about things you've already been thinking about in terms of this field and in different ways and see them in more dynamic ways. Um, Cause people become totemic, you know, when you read about, the history of ufology and, and abductees and UFO experiencers, it all kind of becomes these totems that you, because of your um, perceptual bias um, in your mind. Yeah. Not you, but you know, anybody who reads it, like you kind (laughs) of, you set these people as like these things and these specific events and these experiencers and you characterize them a certain way. But I think she kind of adds a lot of, um, a lot of depth and shadow to um, these totems of, of the ufological phenomena. Flying saucers I in the like, sky. Yeah. Who knew, who knew it? Flying so saucers. Deep. Yeah. 
I, I like when she was um in uh Jacques Vallée's library and she was like and then he pulled out another book and I was like yes yes and uh then she was like and then he pulled down a book about Satan and I was like oh no oh no not Satan yeah he That's tells her good. she has to read this book by the Carmelite That's like nuns yeah the history, on the of, history Satan. of Satan and I looked up what yeah. the book was and you like people on Reddit are like trying to figure out what book it is. I didn't like look for more than like yeah. 20 minutes because I was like looking at work or something. But I did find that funny that like it wasn't <laughs> an easy book to track down. I mean, it's not that surprising because, you know, yeah. many books out there. But yeah. But they're also your boss the, is going to look at your computer and be like, You're that's looking cool. Up Satan all day. I have that in my office, actually. <laughs> I have many books on the history of Satan in my office. I am him. Yeah. Um, I am Satan. Yeah. Uh, But there's something crazy about that too. (laughs) What do you need a book for? The, uh, the Carmelite nuns, I guess, have like a tie to um, Fatima and that. Oh yeah. One of the little children who saw Our Lady of Fatima became a Carmelite nun. So there's a weird kind of connection there, which, which might be how Valet, like why that book is so important to him or something. Cause he wrote extensively about that experience. That man is a total mystery to me. What a interesting guy. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was reading before I, I got the book, I, I was reading like reviews of it and everyone was like, Oh boy, more of the same. This is really not good. And they were like, "This is not a good book." And then they said stuff like, "This is not worth your time or money." And I was like, "Well, I'm gonna do it anyway." Mm-hmm. And at first, I thought the critics were right. I did not need to read this book. I already know all this stuff. But the further I got into it, I was like, "Actually, this book has some really oddball stuff in it." And totally does kind of push this conversation in a if like even just a little further into this weirder direction that I think it needs to go in. So yeah. I actually kind of ended up appreciating it appreciating it as like a you know, interesting kind of approach to the whole thing, which is which is nice. I think that honestly you told me that and I was already halfway through it and I kind of thought that it didn't, it, as a book, it doesn't actually start that strong. Um, yeah. And I think for a lot of people who have been, you know, researching and reading about this subject for a long time, um, they kind of like, once you start to bring up these old totemic things about ufology, they're like, well, I already know about that. You know, like I've heard no sphere before, yeah. <laughs> like, but it's like, yeah, it's it, it's like I was saying before, it adds a lot of depth to these things and kind of makes you reconsider them and, you know, consider the absolute complexities of, of the intelligence, <laughs> what intelligence means and how can int- yeah. the intelligence community function as a, like, a secret society that isn't exactly, like, satanic, you know, or something like um, a movie. But it's like something that's, you know, far more complicated and uh, harder to wrap your head right. around. Um, and not just that, but many, many other aspects of the thing as well. 
um, which makes her books, I feel, very important. Um, but she also talks about how the, the medium of the book itself is problematic in this field because she's writing at a time when there's so much like, you know, you could, all the releases and the, the things that are going on, if you've been interested in UFOs, it's easy to just say like, well, that's all PSYOP, that's just garbage and it's all propaganda. And sure, a lot of it is, um, but there's still a lot of, you know, totally strange, weird stuff getting filtered through the um, mainstream media and uh, collective unconscious of the world. Um, and the You mean the lamestream media? There you go. Um, and so she, like, she kind of finishes the book writing about like developments in chat GPT and that's already like what? It's already old news. Yeah. Old news. Like now it's Just like garbage, other breakthroughs in, uh, artificial intelligence. And they just have apparently took a, a massive step. Um, open AI did towards their goal. Like took a massive creating took a massive Ben's dump nightmare. They can't create me. I mean, my nightmare. Uh, I am my nightmare. They could create you. <laughs> I'd love to have a, a, a chat robot based on me. That's my nightmare. <laughs> uh, Actually, no, I'd, I think I'd rather have one on Elvis, an Elvis chat robot. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess yeah. the last thing I'll say, though, is that if if religion is the kind of this mimetic like force that changes and shapes society, then I don't know the UFO thing. It does seem to be becoming um, something that's kind of replacing or at least changing the face of, of the world. I don't know. I guess at least the Western theology, I should say, I shouldn't can't say the world theology because that's uh who knows a step way too far but the the western theology um for sure yeah let's i don't know well maybe maybe there's uh maybe there's some connection to the to the ufo thing in any religion i, I mean of course shows like ancient aliens or whatever will look at you know the Hindu or, you know, tradition, the Buddhist tradition and find UFOs everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I guess, but this current iteration is definitely um, heavy, heavy on the Western, especially American uh, thing, which, which it's so does kind of make it feel, yeah, and and that's what makes it feel like maybe it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's confusing. Like I said, it's, it's an enigma. Yeah. It's what's well, it's like, you know, a lot of, what she's talking about too is like considering our evolutionary genetics as a, an inscription of quantum information, but also, you know, like considering, uh, our development as a, um, species to be a technology of some, you know, inherent, uh, exterior consciousness or super intelligence. Yeah. I mean, all of that, that, that language is stuff that is kind of like in vogue with, um, our Western civilization. Yeah. It's very trendy. Yeah. AI, AI speak and like, 
everything's a everything's a computer man like mm -hmm. uh it's all like but none of it's true we're just like we just made a new toy and now we think we look like it i, I don't think it's gonna <laughs> pan out <laughs> but it is interesting and it, it's a new angle which i guess is helpful yeah okay what do you let's talk about uh did you read that um from corazon to carcosa fiction-based esotericism in the black pilgrimage of jack parsons and marjorie cameron I did have a look at that essay. That is by uh, Manon Edinburgh White. Yep. Um, you really can find this episode in its entirety and more exclusive content at patreon.com slash consensus on reality.